Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but a very, very good one, particularly if you are into the NFL, and specifically the NFL Draft. Daniel Jeremiah is NFL Media's lead analyst. You see him during the draft on NFL Network, and you see him on the NFL Network with all their draft content, scheduling show content, etc. Really, really appreciate Daniel coming on right after the draft we're taping this the monday after the draft and we get into a number of things this is not about the players this this podcast but about how daniel prepares for his job we talk about some of the moments on the broadcast that um for him were really memorable what happens now in terms of after the draft like what is his schedule like and and how does he approach thinking about next year um He's a former scout for multiple NFL teams. Would he consider returning to the NFL? Is that of interest uh, for him? We also uh, get into next year's draft, which uh, from all indications has a ton of stars in it and will be one of the more interesting drafts for a guy like Daniel Jeremiah. So Daniel Jeremiah for uh, 40 minutes. I think you'll enjoy this coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, very excited to bring in uh, Daniel Jeremiah of uh, NFL Media, like slash the NFL Network. Very cool of him to actually join me uh, a couple of days after far and away his busiest uh, weekend of the year. You know him from watching him as a lead draft analyst on the NFL Network's coverage. And since I wrote about this for The Athletic, we're going to get into it. And Daniel Jeremiah, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. What's going on, Richard? How are you doing? Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I know you do a lot of these um, kind of uh, uh, appointments where people are asking you about players. I'm more going to ask you about process <laughs> and about uh, okay. sort of the, the, the work that you do as a broadcaster. So it'll be a little bit different. Um, I talked to um, Charlie Uke, who is uh, uh, technically, I guess you could say, your boss or at least sort of the, mm-hmm. you know, the the point person for the NFL Network's coverage for many, many years. Uh, known him for a long time, does a great job. And, you know, he always sings your praises, and he sings the praises of um, your colleagues, because that's what these people in these positions should do. you got to support your team, and you got you got a flag wave, and you do that. But he was very genuine when I talked to him over the weekend about that um, it's one thing to make a correct prediction it's another thing to predict a trade that happens that then changes the draft which you did 
prior to the draft regarding the Texans moving up to number three. That, in his opinion, made for some really great moments early on at the start of your round one coverage. So this is where I want to start with a couple things. One, why were you confident enough to put that in print? Because you know it's one thing to be wrong about a player. It's another thing to be wrong about a transaction. Yeah, it was, I mean, look, it was kind of a lot of things coming together. You say like confidence wise, I mean, that was 30% maybe uh, confidence level that that was what was actually going to happen because there's times where you get stuff, you know, directly out of a building and you're like, okay, this person I trust, they've never burned me. Like I feel rock solid about that piece of information. Like let's, let's do something, you know, take that, take that chance. This was not that this was just collecting a lot of different information and talking to a lot of different people really outside of the building. You know, I think some people are like, gosh, you must, are you just dialed in with Houston? Did you know what they were doing? I'm like, no, it wasn't anything like that at all. It was just canvassing a lot of different people. And then at the end of the day, using common sense um, with, with where I ended up going with it. But I mean, the night before I always talk to, uh, to Rappaport Pelissero the night before, like I've touched base with all of the information guys. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of people that are in the know on that side of it. Then I've talked to a lot of different people around the league that have friendships inside the building in Houston. So you kind of take all that information in, and then what you kind of came away with was a couple things. Um, I knew that uh, the, the thought was amongst a lot of people that they were down to those two players. They really liked CJ Stroud. They really liked Will Anderson. And then the other part of it was, which was very public, which was Arizona, you know, darn near put a billboard up and said they wanted to get out of number three. And then, so you start connecting these dots and you say, well, wait a second. Now Houston's got a lot of resources. They have a lot of picks. It's a new head coach, which is usually a good opportunity to kind of have a flag in the ground type draft. Um, so you just kind of connect all these things like, okay, well, do I give them the quarterback or do I give them Will Anderson? I'm like, well, if the quarterback's in the mix, they're taking the quarterback. If it's close at all, you, you, you take the quarterback. So I'm like, they're going to take Stroud. I felt pretty good about that. And then I was like, well, but they, if they really love Anderson and then we know that Arizona wants out and they have all this draft capital, like it shouldn't be that hard for them to go back up and, and, and get the third pick. And once they take Stroud at two, the teams that would come up to three would only come up for the, for the quarterback. You just took that off the board. So I don't know if you had much competition, hmm. you know, for that third overall pick. So, I mean, again, I, the confidence level that it was actually going to go down like that was not high. It wasn't like I had some rock solid information. It was just kind of trying to connect all the different dots and saying, you know, this makes a lot of sense. Interesting. The, uh, the question I most wanted to ask you when I knew you would, uh, were coming on today was this, why do you think people talk to you? Um, I've never, ever burned anybody. So if anybody's ever told me anything, um, I would never burn them and nobody's ever going to, it's it. I think people don't, uh, don't understand kind of the savvy that goes along with being a general manager, a head coach or a coordinator, or, you know, director of college scouting or player personnel executive. They're not dumb. Like these guys are not going to be like, we're taking this guy, but we talk about players all the time. And it's, it's helpful for me because I can bounce things off them. And there's times where they'll say, Hey, you need to watch this guy. Like there's a lot of people that really like this guy. Okay. That's a good piece of information. Maybe this guy wasn't invited to the combine and you kind of scratch my back a little bit. Then there's other times where it's, yeah, Hey, who do you like? You know? And I'm like, you know, I really, really like this player. And uh, they'll say, Oh, you know, we're not as high on him. And then they can say, well, you know what? Gosh, I think if you watch this game or that game, just go watch those and see if maybe you like him a little bit better. 
So we're really just talking about players and talking about football, and they're never going to tell me this is the guy that we're going to take, and I'm never, ever going to put him in a compromising position to give me that information. So, um, I mean, I, I've, I literally call the Charger games. So I've, I've worked with them for five seasons. Um, I don't know that I've ever correctly picked who they're going to take in the first round. And those guys, I mean, I ta- I'm with them half the year and, we, and I have a good relationship with, uh, with just about everybody in their building. We talk all the time. And it's not like we avoid football, but I, they would never tell me who they're going to take. And I would, I would never ask them. Mm, that's, that's funny. It's interesting too. Um, you, you know, in order to work at the level that you work at, uh, Daniel, you, you have to live this job essentially 365 days a year. So you're always learning, you're always acquiring information. That said, when the draft itself comes up, does your, um, preparation for the broadcast i should let me rephrase that what is your preparation for the broadcast let's say in the two or three weeks that are coming up for the draft understanding that you're marinating in this for the entire year yeah i mean this is this was my 11th year doing this uh on the draft coverage so i definitely know a, a lot more about how to uh to to access your information like that that was the biggest adjustment for me was not you know you're in a draft room and you're a scout I have all my I have all my reports. I can pull up a guy's name on the computer, look him up. Hey, tell me about this guy, and I have time to do that. Well, when the when the light comes on and the camera's in your face, you really don't have time to be fumbling around a notebook or you know going through your computer to find stuff. So I've been able, you know, I have a group. We have such a great team around. So with Ben Fennel, who helps, he yeah. really puts all the EXO the videos yep. together. He is awesome. So with Ben, like in the lead up to the draft or in that process. I can, you know, we kind of go over the names of guys want to do XOs on. I'll post stuff. I'll post some plays on my Instagram and I'll put them in like a, a little folder or whatever. Ben, well, I don't even have to talk to Ben. He'll go to my Instagram. He'll find those plays. Then he'll go find the actual plays and put them in the XO for that player. Um, so we have a great working relationship. And then Jack Andrade, who does the research, um, he does a wonderful job with projects for me and those things. But I learned early on, okay, you can have all this information. That doesn't do you any good if you can't access it quickly. So I have, uh, we have a great setup where I have my computer with my notes in it. And then there's another computer with a mirrored screen. So, you know, a player gets picked, they can pull up my notes on that. I'm not trying to fumble around and find it. They can pull that up so I can access my notes without, you know, looking like, I'm, you know, scrambling. So that's been great. And then initially I would do the team side of it, of, you know, having those in like packets. So you'd be Okay. Oh gosh, the Cardinals just traded. They're on the clock. So you're flipping through this paper on your, on the desk, and that was no good. So I figured out a way to kind of condense that down into like a flip chart, like you were calling a game. Um, so I have that on the desk. So that's to me the last two weeks is making sure that all the information is accessible and, and I can get to it quickly. Interesting. Actually, I uh, I used a tweet that Jack put out in my athletic column today. We're taping this on Monday afternoon, just so people know. And it was about uh, your sort of hit rate when it comes to this year's draft. And you probably get this question a lot, but it's worth asking because we've now completed the draft. Like, how important is that to you? How important is it? You're not ever going to get every, you know, the top 100 players. You're not going 100 for 100. It's essentially impossible. It's like the same impossibility of picking the NCAA tournament. No one's ever done it. Mm -hmm. You're not doing this. That said, like, are you trying to get to a certain percentage? Is is it important to you to like get a certain amount of of let's say the top hundred? Um, you know, the first round could be very very challenging if people trade. You're yeah. sort of out of it. But I just wonder, like, how you 
you know, you're not going to be evaluated on that by the NFL network or your employers, but I wonder as a personal sort of source for yourself, does that stuff matter to you? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I really get caught up in the percentages or the numbers of it more. So I just want to make sure that I'm on the right guys. And I like, you know, I'm, I'm watching the right people first and foremost, and then I've got them in a range, you know, there's going to be guys that I might like in the second round that a team might look as a fourth rounder and, and the opposite. That doesn't really bother me as much. I just don't want, I don't want guys going, you know, in a range where I'm not even in the same vicinity. Like if, if, if you use the analogy, like I'm fine being in the, in the right neighborhood, I don't need to be in the right house. Like just make sure that we're talking about the right, the right types of guys. So mm. I really look at my job um, with our draft coverage is twofold. Number one, I want to be able to hopefully tell you about the player um, and, and what he does well and what he doesn't do well. And then I want to tell you once he's selected, how he fits in with this team and how they'll use him and why maybe I didn't love this player, but this team covets what he does really, really well. So it's value to them where it might not necessarily be value to somebody else. And I know, you know, there's, um, the, there's some question about like, Hey, you, you don't really like hammer a pick and say like, this kid sucks. Like, I can't believe they took this guy or that guy. I don't really look at that as my responsibility. I, I look at it as this is who he is. This is what he does really well. This is what he doesn't do well. I've, I've got a ranking. If you want to see how I personally like him, but let me explain to you why maybe this team likes him more than that team. The one, you know, it's interesting. I do see a lot of people who are critical of people in your position for not, um, yeah, for not being critical of a draft pick or yeah, where where it's you know I think for me as a I can only speak for me as a viewer that's never bothered me I, I I'm not looking mm-hmm. for for you or Mel Kiper or Todd McShay to just totally like uh, blast somebody I think the one thing that I like as a viewer and I appreciate and you don't do this by the way I think again you're measuring and I think this is why a lot of viewers like you the thing that always sort of struck me as a little tough to take as a viewer is when a person on set starts making proclamations that this person is the next so-and-so. Yeah, this yeah. is Peyton Manning. This is because inevitably, if you go back in the draft and look at this video like 15 years ago, people are going to look silly because the player never turned mm-hmm. out to be. So I, I see the criticism of that. And I'm not, I, I don't, that's not a criticism I would, would ever make, but I, but I, I'm glad you brought this up because I think you would agree, right? That the um, part of what you do is to sort of offer at the moment who this player is, but not necessarily um, critique the organization, right, as to whether this pick was good or not. Because for all of us, we're never, none of us know this no. until three or four years down the road anyway. Yeah, and we're not privy to the same information that they have. You know, you could be on TV screaming like a lunatic that they're crazy for passing on player X. And then if you had a relationship in the building, they tell you, A, he failed our physical – B, he would never be able to learn the offense, which we run, which is way more complicated than what maybe he did in college. Like there's so many other factors that go into it. And I'll be honest, I think, I think there's, I think the shows leading up to the draft, like let's have our debates of you like a guy. I like a guy. Let's debate why you, why you like him, why I like this guy. But when we get to the draft, there's also part of me. that's like, this is literally the biggest day of this kid's life. Agreed. And he gets selected. And I'm going to sit up here and trash him and tell you the things he doesn't do well. Like, I just, that, that doesn't sit well with me. And even to the point in the draft room where the places I was, specifically with Ozzie Newsom in Baltimore, and I know this comes from him learning under Bill Belichick, which is, 
hey, tell me what he can do. You guys, you know, some people spend all this time telling me everything this guy cannot do. Let me know what he can do. And if we can put him in position where he can do those things, like that's how, you know, that's how I was kind of brought up in scouting. Do you ever in real time hear from the teams after you make an analysis of a pick? Oh, all the time, like dozens of times uh, through. And some of it's as, as, as uh, benign as like, hey, uh, I know this guy's a wide receiver, but for us, we're just, we, we wanted him as a returner. Like he's going to be a returner for us. And you just talked about him and how he would fit. He's kind of raw as a receiver. Like we really just wanted him as a returner. Anything he gets us as a receiver is a bonus. Um, I'll get stuff like, uh, you know, I had got a, a text from a coach about a receiver during the process. And he was asking me who, if, if this particular receiver reminded me of somebody, and so I gave him, you know, gosh, you know, he kind of reminded me of this player and this guy's body. And like, we got a back and forth and then, uh, and then they ended up drafting that player. And then he sent me a text, like right after they picked him, it's like, I know, I know you love this guy. We're excited to have him, you know, all this kind of stuff, so, kind of reverting back to some of our other conversations. Um, so there's, yeah, there's lots of, there's lots of feedback every now and then you'll get one like, uh, Hey, enough already. You've been praising this team enough, like stop, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> My sense is that, uh, because again, you're not somebody I think who says stuff where it really becomes, uh, you know, like viral blast or anything like that. My guess is you probably don't hear from. Do you ever hear from players uh, like a couple of years down the road uh, or not? Because again, you're not really one who, yeah. you know. Again, I give like someone like Kuiper credit, immense credit. I mean, it's his 40th year and stuff. But historically, yeah. he might be someone who says something where a player might remember it five, ten years later. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen that. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's generally, I haven't seen that with you. Yeah. I mean, look, I've missed on a zillion evaluations where I've been too low or too high on people. And I know from doing the path to the draft show where we bring players in all the time, the, unless they're ranked number one on your board, they're not happy with where they are on your board. Right. I mean, I remember, I think Sammy Watkins, the year he was coming out, I think he was literally number two on my board. And he was like, why am I, you know, come on, what are we doing? I'm like, you're number two. Like, what? come on. Uh, but uh, that that is always going to be the case with players. But never anything, never, I would never, I'll never uh, on purpose for sure ever try and be nasty about a player or say, and speak in the absolutes, that's, that's like a no-no in the draft room, and I've carried that over to the media. And maybe there's, you know, some would argue that that's how you get some more traction is to speak in absolutes. I just we didn't do that as scouts. I'm not going to do that on TV. The uh, you know when I did my um, piece this year off the NFL draft, I thought the um, uh, the Cowboys pick of uh, the coach's uh, son Deuce. Yeah. Why am I blanking? Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Deuce Vaughn. I was blanking on his last name. That to me was the best moment of the draft um, for both uh, networks or the three networks, if you want to call ABC. You know, it's obviously it's not the first round, and he's not as famous as C.J. Stroud or some of these guys. But it was a great moment. And what Charlie Uke said to me was that um, you identified the um, the relationship very quickly. Not that this was his dad. But that the evaluation process existed in that the dad had to go out of the room while the rest of the staff made the evaluation. And that was really like interesting information. And then I thought you guys as a network did a great job of showing the um, 
the footage of the call inside the Cowboys draft room. You guys analyze this guy, and it seems like everybody thinks that outside of his size, he's an incredible player and should have a long career in the NFL. And then you just you can relate to it, right? Because anybody can relate mm-hmm. to the fact that this is a parent, like just so overjoyed by the fact that um, their kid is going to now work in the same building as them. Um, I don't know if that for you was your favorite moment of the draft, but I want to just to, for you to give me give my listeners some insight on that because I thought it was a great moment and a day three moment too. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. And, and I don't I know I have a lot of scouting buddies, and I know in the shot there was a bunch of guys in that shot that I knew that I you know scouted with and been friends with over the years. I had never had a chance in, to meet his dad, but I knew who he was, and I knew you know following his son's career over the years, it was a pretty cool connection there. Um, so as soon as he got picked, it was like, oh gosh, like this is he, how cool is this? Like his dad's on the staff there. Um, so to see that, and then to have the shots, and th- and look, um, I think it's so cool that these teams give us this access to all the networks to be able to see inside that draft room to have that moment, and then of course they put it out later where you could hear it, which was even better. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, that was that was pretty awesome. And I, the funny thing was when he was getting picked. I was actually, you know, we did that, but I was thinking back to my favorite combine moment that I've ever had as a scout was when Darren Sproles was, was coming out and he is another, obviously really undersized player, same school, same position. And when he was coming out, we get to the combine, I'm in there for the weigh-ins and he gets up there to the chart and the chart doesn't go down low enough for Darren Sproles. And so you think about, gosh, this would be a pretty humiliating experience for somebody so while they're waiting, you know, a few minutes to get a new chart because they stick it on the wall. It's a sticker. And I thought, you know, gosh, think about it. I would probably be just staring down like this. And Darren Sproles had his head up the whole time, looked everybody in the eye. It was such a stud. Like, and then, you know, they got it out. They got through it. And he goes on to have this unbelievable career. So I'm watching this guy. And I'm like, I remember that Sproles story. I'm thinking, man, these undersized Kansas State running backs, man, like what unbelievable stories for them. And hopefully this kid goes on to have similar type success that, that Sproles did. It's great. It's also what you just said there is a great reminder that scouts are always watching everything. You're watching his reaction yeah. to what was going on with the thing. That's really interesting um, on that. The other uh, very memorable moment for you, this is the first time ever you've been peed on by a puppy on, on live television, right? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, – you know what was funny is I'm so dumb that I was I was holding the dog. Like when she handed me the dog, and right when she handed me, I, I'm holding the dog, and I'm feeling it's kind of wet. And I thought, you know what? The, 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 the young lady who's holding the dog, maybe she's nervous because she's going to be on TV in the shot. And maybe her hands were sweaty while she was holding the dog. And then as I kept holding it, I'm like, this has got to be a little more than sweat. This is not, this is, that's not what this is. Uh, so then I kind of realized that, yeah, very, yeah, very gently gave the dog back to her. Thank you. And then I assessed the damages and I was like, oh yeah, that, that's exactly what just happened. That dog totally just peed on me. Nice. Um, but it, you know, look, day three, we always have crazy stuff that happens. That's the first uh, with that happening, but it gave us some good fodder for the rest of the show. Yeah. And for those who didn't see the draft that uh, there was a local Kansas city um, shelter dogs came on, um, got some pub on the NFL network. Hopefully, they were adopted. I bet you they will. Did you, uh, during a break, do you then change your shirt? Like what happens there? So, you know, here we are, we're pretty deep in the day three. Yeah, so it you, it's hard to, keep, it's hard to keep track. You're trying to do the math. Like how much longer do we have here? And then, you know, they came and, and Pam Litton who takes care of us and Wendy Moyer, they were like, Hey, do you want us to go? We can go back to the hotel, get you a new, sh- one of your shirts out of your closet and bring it back over here. And I'm like, look, by the time you get here, the thing's going to be dry. And, 
the smell is the smell. And I'll be honest, I, even taking this shirt off, I don't think the smell's going anywhere for the rest of the evening. Right. Uh, but the, the, the only sweet part about it for me was I, well, I told them, just forget, like, I'm fine. We'll just, I'll just, we'll get through the draft. But the only thing was Rich and, and Charles and Peter, they got to like, hey, get your licks in, get your jabs in. Just know when this thing ends, we all get into that same car and drive back to the hotel. So what I've been smelling, you're going to get a he- heavy dose of it on the way back to the hotel. Nice. All right. A couple more um, here. The um, This month of May, um, I don't know your schedule uh, like ahead of time prior to talking yeah. to you. Uh, so I don't want to guess like what, like the, you, you probably, my guess is just because of your professionalism, you're going to go back and probably watch the draft. Maybe, maybe not just your coverage, but ESPN and ABC as well. I'm sure you're going to probably do your own evaluation of your own evaluations, right? Cause that sort of mm-hmm. provides some interesting stuff. D- what are the responsibilities do you have in terms of both either being on air or just like how you, what, like what the month of May is for you traditionally? Yeah, so um, I'll give uh, Jerry Madelon a shout out here. I know he's done a lot of work with so many people at yeah. ESPN and then at our place great, over the years. Great, he, great he, gave me a, he gave me a, a great idea, and I know he's, he's shared this with everybody over all these years about kind of having like a, I think he calls it a will, uh, what I learned uh, document. And so I keep, I keep that updated in my notes on my phone. So I'll, you know, probably in a couple of days, I'll, I'll jump into there and say, okay, this year, a couple of things I learned about process and maybe I can do a little bit better with this or that or you know and so that's kind of how I'll I'll self-scout so to speak and I'll put stuff in there uh, I've got a couple days of shows so tomorrow and maybe a few things Wednesday and then I'm pretty much done draft this draft is then done um, and then I believe schedule release is coming up the 11th oh, yeah. so I'll do some stuff with the schedule release show um, and then uh, after that you know, I'm, I'm, uh, the kids are getting out of school and then I'll usually take a couple of weeks, um, uh, and then just kind of decompress a little bit. And then over the summer, I'll, I'll try and get, try and, if I can, I like to get 45 to 50 guys watched going into next year. So that'll be kind of the kickoff and the start of, of watching some guys for next year. Yeah. Just a little bit of my listeners know Jerry Madelon, um, long, long time. Uh, um, how would I sort of say it? Like, uh, He's like a talent coach. Yeah, talent coach is probably the best description, Daniel. Thank you. He is yeah. on my – this is going to be me saying this, Daniel. You should be quiet. I don't want you to get in trouble here. He's on my short list of the absolute screw-ups by ESPN in terms of laying off somebody who was just incredibly valuable with institutional knowledge, who all talent there um, had nothing but uh, praise for. And now he, um, I think, works in a number of different places, including the NFL Network, where he helps the on-air people get better. And again, like the guy's success rate um, is just incredible. So I'm glad you mentioned Jerry Madelon, who I believe listens to this podcast. So this will be a great moment uh, for him. He's 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 getting a lot of attention for a niche podcast. It's like a fifth round <laughs> podcast. So he should be excited. Um, the um, y- you have scouting um, background, obviously. I think you worked for the Eagles, the Browns, and the Ravens. Um, yeah. So you you now have a very high profile in terms of a high profile job. Would the interest of returning to the NFL in some kind of personnel position, does that exist? Or do you now consider yourself a television person? Yeah, I've had some opportunities over the years and, um, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't the right time. And then the more I've done this and then I've got two kids still in high school. So I've got a junior and a freshman still in high school. And I've kind of, I've struck a nice balance here because the one thing I missed with the teams was, 
you know, being affiliated with a team and, and, you know, having that camaraderie that you kind of miss amongst the group and, and no matter what level you're at with an organization, there's just something about being a part of that. So for the last five years, being able to do these charger games and, and travel with them, travel on the road with them. And, uh, that's kind of given me a little bit of that fix that I, that I've missed from the team side of things. And then being live in a live atmosphere. And, and I love my, uh, my partner, Matt Money Smith, who's awesome as a play by play guy. We're really close friends. So to have that, that added to what I get to do with the network and then, and the draft stuff, it's a great mix of the things I enjoy without some of the headaches that would maybe come along with the, you know, being with the team. Um, and I have life balance, being able to be around my kids and my wife and, and, and the family. So I don't see it and I don't see it happening. Uh, it, w- it would have to just be the right time and the right opportunity. And, and right now I'm not, uh, I'm not looking for it by any stretch. Yeah, that's a good attitude. Uh, very, some very famous and wise people have said, don't mess with happy. Uh, yeah. Usually it's not the word mess. It's a different word that we'll <laughs> clean up. Um, yeah. So, you know, the one thing, the one thing though I have seen in people in your position um, is that they they enjoy great success and they love the draft. I usually use Mayock as an example, who I've had, yeah. have had a great relationship with. I haven't talked to him for a little bit. I know you do as well. Can I can I say one thing about him real quick? Because just go ahead, please. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. interrupt you. Of course, but I don't know how you know how many people really know Mike. And you know, Mike is a, a smart football guy and he's a tough guy. I think he come. You know, maybe some people think that, that he's a little gruff or they don't know about him. I tweeted this out the other day, but every year since he left, either the day of or the day before the draft, he sends me a long text message, which is filled with all kinds of encouraging words and says, you know, nice things to really pump you up. And then he gives you a, a couple of uh, pieces of advice. Like he said, hey, make sure you, hey, don't forget, work out in the morning. Um, you know, just get a chance to get outside, Click, you know, get outside because you're going to be sitting in that chair for a long time. And nobody, you know, nobody knows that he does that kind of stuff. He does that every single year since he left. He is mm-hmm. such a good guy. He's a he was a great friend. He is a great friend. Um, and then you would think maybe somebody that takes over a job that you used to have, maybe yeah. some people would would root for their failure. Like he is, but he's my ultimate cheerleader. So he's just a great dude. And I just hope you know people realize how you know what he is. That's excellent to hear. I mean, I'm not saying anything I haven't said. I, I, when he worked in your job, uh, I called him the the best television draft analyst I had ever seen. Um, nothing, nothing changes regarding my opinion on that. I bring him up, or I brought him up before Daniel was that the thing with Mike is he always had an itch to do live games. Like that was mm-hmm. something that was really important to him. He believed, and quite frankly, I think he was correct. Whether you think he was good or games or not, he. He had an inherent bias against him because the people who usually are the top analysts are former quarterbacks, generally speaking, maybe Super Bowl winners. They're very famous people, famous NFLers. Mm -hmm. Mike was not, obviously, you know, ninth round pick or whatever he was. So I do want to ask you, it does seem like you have a you've you have found a great balance in that you love doing the draft stuff. You get a little bit uh, uh, of the Chargers stuff uh, in terms of live games, but do you think this would be satisfying to you for the next 10, 15 years? Or do you, or do you feel, are you going to be someone you think like Mike, who then wants to get the itch to do, um, to be at the, to be at the games like every Sunday, not everybody does that. And I kind of think, like I say, I wouldn't mess with happy. I think you got an incredible setup, but I am curious if you think down the road, like that's something you think you want to eventually pursue. Yeah, I mean that's something I think that's always that option's always you know going to be out there. That temptation will be out there, and 
I think you just have to evaluate those as they come. But I mean, it's, you know, get the to, you know, not only call NFL games, you know, throughout a full season, there's two things that are cool about doing the Chargers radio games is that number one, you, you get to prepare for one team a week because I get the Chargers every single week. So that from a workload standpoint, it's not too, it's not too daunting. And the other thing is when you're with the team, you fly on the team plane. So, I mean, we, the games on Sunday, I I fly out Saturday afternoon, the game ends, it's a night game. We're on the plane flying home that night. So from a travel standpoint, it does not get any easier. And obviously with an NFL team, you get all the police escorts and all that stuff that goes along with it. So from that travel standpoint, it's a breeze. So that, you know, that is a great gig and they've treated me very well. So I'm, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed that, but down, down the road, somewhere down the line, if you had a chance to do, uh, you know, some, some, some TV games, then, you know, you kind of wait and, and evaluate those individually. Last one for me. Um, having talked to Charlie Uke and Seth Markman, who's again, Charlie's equivalent at ESPN, they both really, um, are excited about next year in Detroit. You know, these guys not only think about production, but they think about, you know, if we have quarterbacks and if we have skill position players, the likelihood is we're going to get boosts in viewership. There's going to be more people interested. Uh, they've said, pr- you know, I'm sure obviously in Charlie's case, probably using your evaluations, that the two potential quarterbacks who everybody's sort of talking about, the the player from North Carolina and Caleb Williams, are better mm-hmm. quarterbacks than the best quarterbacks in this draft. Marvin Harrison Jr., again, is like a top three or four pick. So do would you at this point, um, in terms of just a very, very broad evaluation, do you think next year's draft is, I don't even know how I should phrase this, but potentially could be of more interest for a general public than this year's draft, which definitely had some interest because of these quarterbacks at the top? Yeah, I think I told Charlie, um, this draft is, is, uh, is an intriguing draft. There's a lot that we don't know. We've got some big name quarterbacks, which is great, you know, in the, the draft we just had. But I said, for the most part, this is a draft of starters, not stars. I said, next year, it's the stars. Like we've got star players, not only at quarterback, but at all these other positions. So um, as, as this was fun, we had fun. And then we didn't know what was going to happen with these quarterbacks and where they were going to go. And, and that was, that was cool. But I said, next year, it goes to a different, different level of guy. So uh, I'm already, I'm already fired up and looking forward to, to getting a chance to study these, this next group of guys, because there's sometimes where you're like, okay, I've seen flashes of this player next year. I'll get to him, but I don't really know him. It's like, I mean, anybody, anybody that's paid attention has seen Caleb Williams and what he's, you know, what he did last year and, and how talented he is. And then Drake may, um, I got a chance to see him early in the year because they played against my alma mater Appalachian state. And I was like, Holy crud, this kid's pretty good. And then, you know, on you listed all the guys. It's a, it's a long list of, of really talented players. So it should be a special college football season. Um, and I think that's going to take us right into an, an awesome draft and, and Detroit, um, you know, <laughs> the, the energy, like that's, you're, you're in football country. We saw it in Kansas yeah. city. The energy was great. It'll be great energy there. And then I know Charlie's probably already got, you know, 10 different musical artists, like lion, you know, trying to think of how they can weave all this stuff in with all the right. musical talent from there. Yeah. Motown. You're going to hear a lot of it next year. Oh the, yeah. Oh yeah. On the draft. All right, Daniel Jeremiah is the uh, NFL uh, media's lead analyst. Obviously, saw him on the NFL Network. Also, uh, congrats to him, at least as far as my research shows, the first person on an NFL draft to be peed on live on the air. (laughs) So he has that now um, going for him, which is nice. All right, Daniel, uh, thanks, man. It's good of you. I know uh, you had a long weekend, and uh, you got to decompress a little bit. It's really good of you to make some time 
for me. I wish you nothing but the best of success. And um, thanks for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. I appreciate it, Richard. Thank you, man. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Daniel Jeremiah for uh, coming on the podcast, uh, particularly right after the NFL draft. Really appreciate it and, uh, and certainly enjoyed his insights. If you like these kind of conversations, head to the archives page. There should be there should be stuff uh, that you like, particularly if you're a sports media fan. Earlier this week, Tim Layden and Dana O'Neill on the challenges and joys of covering the Kentucky Derby. We also get into well, the horse racing riders should uh, bet at the track because many of them do indeed. Um, before that, uh, did something on the NFL draft with Amy Trask, the CBS Sports Analyst. And Washington Post staff writer Ben Strauss came on to discuss the ESPN layoffs. ESPN's Ryan Clark was on early in April to talk about the NHL postseason. We've had uh, our regulars, Chad Finn and Austin Carpon to do uh, some sports media roundtables. Analyst Michael Nathanson on April 17th on the future of sports rights. Alan Shipnock, the fine golf writer covering the Maskers, Howard Beck on NBA Awards, and then uh, Ryan Rucco is on this podcast. Michael Cole, go down the list of archives. Hopefully there'll be something for you in them. want to thank uh, everybody at uh, Odyssey for their support. Certainly want to thank Patrick Antonetti. Can't do this podcast without him, our great producer. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.